Ted Bohorquez here with News Talk KZRG. Welcome to this week's episode of Plot Summary. This is where I take everything we talked about this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG, and I give it to you in a nice little plot summary. We're going to get this week started off with Biden, good old President Sleepy Joe. This week, him and by extension, his entire family was in a little bit of hot water with the House Oversight Committee. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy called on President Biden to, quote, give us his bank statements, end quote. Yeah, they're going for it. Kevin McCarthy said this is the only way the president can prove that he did not benefit from his family's foreign business dealings as this as Republicans are preparing to launch an impeachment inquiry. This could be happening as soon as next week, which is pretty wild. And of course, this came as a downstream effect to the Devin Archer testimony. And if you don't know, a quick little synopsis of that is uh, Hunter Biden's former business partner, Devin Archer, had testified to the House Oversight Committee and had confirmed that Joe Biden had spoken at his son's business meetings a minimum of 20 times while Joe Biden was vice president. This was jaw-dropping news because just as recently as one month ago, the president swore up and down not only did he not conduct business with his son in any capacity— He didn't even know what business his son was doing. That was the story not that long ago. And then a former business partner of Hunter Biden says that's literally not true. Not only did he know what we were doing, we phoned him in. We called him during a meeting to talk to clients about what we were doing. So, uh, busted, Mr. President. Now, Joe Biden has not really spoken on any of those revelations really at all. In fact, he's pretty much been dodging all interviews as of late, except this week he accepted one interview that was a very important one, and that is with the Weather Channel. <laughs> he uh, he wants to discuss our changing planets. That's, uh, that's the interview questions that he wants to answer right now. Once again, despite the fact that Devin Archer quite literally revealed that Not only did Joe Biden talk on the phone 20 times, but he actually attended in person two separate dinners at a Washington restaurant with his son, Hunter Biden, and Hunter's Eastern European associates, i.e. clients. So the story of, oh, I don't know what he's doing, kind of falling apart now because he did know what he was doing. He was on the phone with them. Oh, and also he went to dinner with them. Crazy. Devin Archer also revealed that $3.5 million from foreign clients in 2014, again, when Joe Biden was vice president, were sent to a a Devin Archer and Hunter Biden-associated corporate entity, which in turn almost immediately transferred that money into different firms that were co-owned by Devin Archer and Hunter Biden, in which case that money was almost immediately distributed amongst Biden family members. And if that wasn't enough, it was also revealed that uh, Joe Biden, once again, while vice president, had coffee with Jonathan Lee, which is which was the incoming CEO of a Chinese state backed investment fund. They just had coffee. Let's not get ourselves. We all know what that was. That was a business meeting. Okay, business people don't just have coffee. They talk shop. It's like the golf course. The business guy says, let's hit the links. They're not there to play the sport. Sure, that's what's happening in the background, but they're talking shop. Let's be real. So that was the big news with the Bidens this week. Moving on from there, and Donald Trump was in the news this week, of course. During an uh, Alabama Republican Party event, Donald Trump joked that 
He needs just one more indictment to become president. As the uh, Democrats are indicting Trump more and more, his polls are getting higher and higher, seemingly to the tune of the number of indictments that have been coming out. Trump is currently leading Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, who is the runner-up, 53.1% to 17.6%. Once upon a time, it was pretty close, but not anymore. Donald Trump, 53% of likely Republican voters. Meanwhile, DeSantis has 17% of likely Republican voters. Then in third place, we have businessman Vivek Ramaswamy. He's in third place with Only 5% of likely Republican voters, which doesn't look good for non-Trumpies. Now, something to note here, though, is that Trump may not be participating in the Republican debates. The first debate is coming up this next week, and there's a number of requirements that must be made in order to get on to the debate stage. Individuals such as former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson has not made some of those requirements, so he might not be allowed to be on the debate stage. But most most of the heavy hitter Republicans have, in fact, made those minimum requirements. But there's a snafu, and that is Donald Trump doesn't want to debate. He has said openly time and time again he doesn't feel he has to debate. He doesn't feel he needs to, whereas a lot of Republican voters are saying, no, you got to debate. Well, Trump may have found a workaround this week because in order to hit the debate stage, one of the requirements is you have to sign this GOP Pledge of Allegiance. And essentially what that does, among other things, is whoever the GOP chooses as their candidate, by signing that Pledge of Allegiance, you are pledging you will support that candidate. If you remember in 2016, there was that really sad video of Ted Cruz making cold calls to try and garner up support for Donald Trump. Just weeks after a very, very brutal debate between the two of them. Very, frankly, kind of hate-filled debate between the two of them. And then what happened? Well, Trump became the GOP nominee, and Ted Cruz had signed a Pledge of Allegiance saying he pledges to support whoever the uh, GOP chooses, and they chose Trump. And what did he do? Well, he put on his big boy pants, swallowed his pride, and started making those pro-Trump calls. So I think good for Cruz on that. Kind of showed his, showed his character in a, in a very positive way, I think. But the point is, is that no matter how vehemently opposed an individual is to a candidate, it doesn't matter. Because once they're the GOP candidate, if you sign this Pledge of Allegiance, you pledge to support that candidate. Well, signing that is a requirement to get on the debate stage. And Trump right now is refusing to sign it. Some people are saying this is just an excuse to not have to debate. Others are saying, hey, that's Trump for you. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. He's a wild card. That's why we love him. And that is kind of the drama that went on with Trump this week in terms of the debates. But there was some other drama that was revealed this week that I frankly think was quite shocking. It came out this week that special counsel Jack Smith had obtained a search warrant for former President Donald Trump's Twitter account back in January. Back in January, they'd issued a search warrant to get full unfettered access to Trump's personal Twitter account, which is crazy. And what's even crazier, and here's a little shout-out to Elon Musk, is that a federal judge had held Twitter, which is now known as X, in contempt of delays, in compliance with this warrant. Twitter was fined $350,000. Why? Because Elon Musk said, no, I will not give you access to Donald Trump's personal Twitter account. I won't do it. 
Good for Elon. Talk about freedom of speech He's and, and privacy. Freedom of speech and privacy. Elon's on the ball here. According to court documents, Smith's warrant had served with a non-disclosure order that prohibited Twitter from notifying anybody about the existence of the warrant, even just the existence. Couldn't even say there is a warrant. They didn't have to say what the warrant was about. They couldn't even say that a warrant existed. They weren't allowed to tell the public. They weren't allowed to tell shareholders, and they weren't allowed to tell Trump and his team. Now, of course, shout out to Elon Musk once again. Twitter vehemently opposed. They challenged that non-disclosure order. But unfortunately, it was unsuccessful. Now, I do have some sad news. Unfortunately, Twitter did eventually comply with the warrant and did give Jack Smith's special counsel full access to Trump's account. But in classic Elon fashion... He waited well after the deadline to do so as a nice little middle finger to the investigation. And for that act of rebellion, he was fined $350,000, which will probably just go to Ukraine. And this week it came out that that warrant existed and it came out that that is what they were doing. And of course, Donald Trump, not very happy about it, but he'll bounce back. Moving on from Trump, though, something else that we discussed this week in the morning news watch at News Talk KZRG, the EPA. They are proposing even more regulations. You know, I'm very glad to hear that because I thought there would be a single day in the year of 2023 in which the Biden administration did not impose or suggest a new regulation. I was worried. I thought that today was going to be the day it didn't happen. Thank goodness it did. Didn't want to ruin that streak. That uh, regulation streak, that unvoted for, unpeople approved for regulation streak. Isn't that lovely? The EPA, they are suggesting more carbon dioxide emission regulations specifically for power plants. Now, the concern this week is that these regulations would likely lead to blackouts at a large, large scale. And of course, even scarier than that, these rolling blackouts that this would likely create would almost exclusively affect the Midwest and the South. Of course, there would be some blackouts, some semblance of them anyway, in the coastal states, but it's primarily going to be the Midwest and the South. You know, the states and community and people that this administration seems to be not all that interested in, broadly speaking. And in case that wasn't enough for you, it is likely that these new regulations are going to cost about $250 billion by the end of it. That is the current math that we have on that, of, of, of the economic cost, the financial cost to these new regulations, $250 billion. And essentially, in very short, what these regulations are is they're requiring fossil fuel-powered plants to develop certain technologies, such as carbon capture machines, um, sequestration, hydrogen blending. It's all science nerd stuff that supposedly helps the environment, and of course, makes these companies that make this equipment exceptionally wealthy, including the politicians that are requiring it, makes them exceptionally wealthy. And that money, of course, will come from you in the form of increased energy bills. Lovely. I can't wait for another super winter like the one Kansas had not too long ago. That'll uh, These rolling blackouts will play very nice in that field. Something else we discussed this week, uh, kind of a shocking statistic and a little scary to some people. Democratic socialists, they are on the rise quite significantly. 
Now, what is a Democrat's what is a Democratic Socialist? Most easily can be defined as Bernie Sanders, frankly. Bernie Sanders is the easiest, most pure, currently the most famous example of what a democratic socialist is. Just think Bernie. That's what that organization is. Bernie Sanders is essentially their mascot. Now, in 2015, the Democratic Socialists of America, that's their party, they had about 6,000 active members, 6,000 across the country. That was 2015. This is a brave new world we live in here, people. This is 2023, for crying out loud. We're only four months away from 2024. And now, the Democratic Socialists of America have 80,000 members. They went from 6,000 to 80. That's like a... uh, What is that? That's a huge increase. I don't know how to do math. 80,000 divided by 6,000 equals 13... So that's a 1,300% increase. Is that right? 6,000 times. That's 13 times the amount. More than 13 times the amount of members. Crazy. And uh, we all have Bernie Sanders to thank for that. Because, boy, howdy, did he take that party by the horns and run with it. I'm almost kind of impressed with him, to be honest. And I got to give Bernie credit. The legacy parties, the Democratic Party specifically in this case, Really does not like Bernie. Why? Because he is not a regular politician. He's uh, kind of a tried and tried and true man of the people. He is like the uh, he's the inverse of Donald Trump. They're very similar in the sense that they very much so do their own thing and do not adhere to anyone other than their very own ideologies and goals. And they're also very, very hated by the parties that oppose them and to an extent, the parties that support them. Because the Democratic Party kind of hates Bernie and the Republican Party kind of hates trump so bernie sanders and donald trump two sides of the same coin if you ask me sort of kindred spirit sort of situation they got cooking but moving on from there something else that we discussed on the morning news watch at news talk kzrg the migrant crisis that's going on well governor mara healy who's a democratic governor of massachusetts declared a state of emergency on tuesday specifically because of the surge of migrants in the state They can't handle them. But for some reason, they thought the border states could handle them no problem and that everyone was just complaining for the sake of complaining and they were being racist. But in reality, I guess a massive influx of people in a very, very short amount of time with zero infrastructure preparation, apparently that does actually wreak havoc to entire communities. And it's not just people being racist and rude. Shocker. Only everybody else on the planet already knew that except for the Democrats. Healy sent a letter to the Department of Homeland Security, addressed it specifically to Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, asking for urgent help with the issue. Now, currently the stats in Massachusetts is the state is spending $45 million a month. $45 million every month just to care for the roughly 5,500 migrants. 5,500 migrants cost $45 million every single month. Meanwhile, coastal state communities have double that amount of migrants. It's absurd. Now, the Massachusetts governor did not hold back. Good for them, considering they're a Democrat. The letter read, quote, to our partners in the federal government. Yeah, partners, more like uh, overlords. Massachusetts has stepped up to address, sadly, what has been a federal crisis of inaction. That is many years in the making. But... 
We can no longer do this alone, end quote. They are begging for help because they need it, much like the help that the border states needed not too long ago, but their cries for help were completely ignored. Hopefully, Massachusetts' cries for help are not also completely ignored because none of these cries for help should be ignored. This is something that should be settled. I'm not rooting for blue cities and blue states to fall. No, I'm not rooting for that at all because they're Americans, gosh darn it. That's an American city. I'm watching an American city completely fall apart while the people that were sworn to protect it are not doing that. I'm not rooting for New York City to fall. I'm not rooting for Sacramento to fall. I'm not rooting for San Francisco to fall. These are American cities. These are our brothers and sisters. Help thy neighbor. And I think we should start with the cities and communities that are the worst affected. The border states, the border communities, the border cities. Start with aid there first. Fix those communities first. And then move on to the communities that are, that are suffering but are suffering at a drastically lesser pace. We shouldn't root for blue cities and states to fall because those are American cities and states that you're rooting to fall. And I don't want to see any American city fall. I want to see every American city thrive. Because personally speaking, I'm on the board of America first, baby. And that includes helping those that maybe don't want your help, maybe don't appreciate your help, maybe even curse you for helping. But you know it's what's best in the long run for them and for everyone. If the Democrats want to act like children, then Republicans have to be the parents that issue tough love and do what's right for them in the long run, even though them, as children, can't really see it. For instance, what do kids want to eat for dinner every single night? Cookies. Of course they want to do that because they're kids. It's amazing. But as the parent, you know that's not healthy, nor is it good for them. So you have to be the bad guy and say, no, you're going to eat vegetables, then maybe you can have a cookie if you earn it. The Democrats, are, they're like children. They just want this kumbaya state and, oh, uh, no rules, no laws, and everyone will just be live fine and, and happy and, oh, no crime. It'll be good. That's what they want, like the way children want cookies. But Republicans need to be the adults and crack down and say, no, you're not having cookies for dinner. No, you're not getting rid of all of your laws. You're not legalizing every single drug known on the planet. You're not encouraging sex work for minors. No. You're not doing that. And I think Republicans need to start stepping up a little bit because clearly the Democrats can't be trusted. If a kid crashes a car, do you blame the kid or do you blame the mother that said, go ahead and drive, kid? You blame the adult because the little kid didn't know any better. And as much as I want to blame the Democrats for all the nonsense that's happening, they are quite literally children. And you can't blame a child when something breaks because they don't know any better. The Democrats, they're, they're sweet, sweet kids. They just don't know any better. So Republicans need to start stepping up, and they need to start being the adults, and they need to start telling these children no. And clearly, Massachusetts and New York City, because they have also declared state of emergency several times and have also spoken out against Alejandro Mayorkas over the migrant crisis issue, clearly they're starting to realize that their diet of chaos is not doing very well for them in their digestive track of peace and city governing. So now it's up to the Republicans, the adults in the room, to come in and say, don't worry, sweet child, we'll help you fix it. But enough of that. Moving on from there, there was a couple of uh, big letter, big, big league, big letter, big league, um, high volume... Highly publicized cancelings. We'll put it that way. 
couple of big, big letter, big, big league cancelings. There's a phrase I'm thinking of, but I can't think of it. In any case, NASCAR driver Noah Gragson was actually canceled this week, and he was canceled in a rather unfortunate way. Gragson was fully suspended by his motor club. Not only that, he was also fully suspended from NASCAR as a whole and might never be able to race professionally again. And naturally, of course, you would think, wow, he must have had to do something very, very heinous to be fully canceled, suspended, and then fired, not only from his motor club, but from the sport as an entirety. What heinous crime could this man have committed? Well, I'll tell you. He liked, he hit the like button on a meme that made light of George Floyd's death. Gregson did not make the meme. He did not share the meme. He did not comment on the meme. He didn't even say he agreed with the meme. He hit the thumbs up button, which I'm sure you know on social media is not necessarily mean you're pro what the message of that meme is saying. He pushed like. He pushed like on a meme. Sometimes that means that you understand what it's saying when you hit like. Sometimes it means you like it. Sometimes it means you dislike it. The internet and modern internet culture is a very confusing and vexing thing. And it's a shame. Gregson was only 25 years old, and this was his first full season in the Cup Series. And it was taken away from him. Gone. Stripped. Because he liked a meme on social media. That is the power of canceling. And by the way, that's the power of boycotting. Because canceling is just the liberals' word for boycotting. They boycotted this individual so successfully, so hard, so quickly, that his hopes and dreams, ever since he was a kid of driving a car, have been taken away from him. That's the power of boycotting. Speaking of boycotting, the threat of another boycott came to light this week, and we discussed it on the morning news watch at News.KZRG. A Native American group has threatened a national boycott of the Washington Commanders. And what are their demands? Well, this Native American group is demanding the NFL reverse course and change the name back to the Washington Redskins. Huh. Really? Native American groups would like to have the name back. And who was it that wanted it gone? Oh, yeah. White people. White people wanted it gone. They wanted to remove the Redskins. They wanted to remove Native Americans from pop culture. And that's not just me saying it. In a letter that was addressed to the Washington Commanders, the Native American group criticized what they call cancel culture against Native American population and the erasure of its steadfast role in American history, including serving as counselors to the founding fathers in the creation of the U.S. Constitution, end quote. That's what they're calling for. This Native American group is saying, we are tired of white people trying to erase us from the history of this country, And that history does include the football team, Washington Redskins. The Washington football team had built, first began its relationship with the Native American community in 1933. Nearly 100 years, they've been partners with the Native American community. And that, in part, was stripped away with the changing of the name. The letter went on to note, quote, At this moment in history, we are formally requesting that the team revitalize its relationship with the American Indian community, by changing the name back to the Redskins, which recognizes America's original inhabitants and 
using the team's historic name and legacy to encourage Americans to learn about, not cancel, the history of America's tribes and our role in the founding of this great nation, end quote. Honestly, that's a pretty darn inspiring letter. Very inspiring. Very well written. And food for thought. Specifically the thought of who is actually doing the canceling. Because according to this, it's not the Native American tribe that was in direct relation to the Washington Commander football team. No, it seemed to me to be outside forces, specifically light-skinned forces, perhaps white people. Who knows? Who knows? The tribe then made uh, a reference to the Bud Light fiasco and said, hey, you don't want to be you don't want to end up like Bud Light, do you? Which uh, is a pretty good point. Speaking of Bud Light, uh, some other Bud Light news that came out this week in the morning news watch at News Talk KZRG. The Anheuser-Busch Company will be forced to sell eight craft beer brands to a Canadian marijuana company. Anheuser-Busch doesn't want to sell these brands, but they're being forced to because they're running out of money. (laughs) I mean, Anheuser-Busch has lost almost $400 million due to the Dylan Mulvaney fiasco. And so they're going to be forced to sell off some of their titles. They'll be selling Shock Top, Breckenridge Brewery, Blue Point Brewery, Ten, Bre- Ten Barrel Brewing Company, Red Hook Brewery, Widmer Brothers Brewing, Square Mile Cider Company, and uh, High Bale, High Ball Energy. I don't know what the energy one was. Maybe it was some sort of alcoholic energy drink. Who knows? But yeah, they're going to be selling all of those titles, all of which they loved and cherished, and they'll be giving them to the Canucks. All. For $85 million. That is uh, not a great deal for Anheuser-Busch. But, as we all learned with that individual in NASCAR, the power of canceling, the power of boycotting, it sincerely does work. And I think that's a lesson we should all learn and pay attention to as members of and participants in the free market. But that's pretty much all we discussed this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG. Be sure to tune into our Facebook page. We are live every morning for the Morning News Watch at our Facebook page. It's just uh, News Talk KZRG on Facebook. You can also check out our website, which, of course, you're likely already on if you're listening to this. That's uh, NewsTalkKZRG.com. A couple of updates. We're going to be covering that Republican debate pretty darn closely. So if you're interested in what's going on in that, you all you got to do... Stay tuned on our Facebook page. We will have all the updates. You can tune in every weekday on FM 102.9, 105.9, AM 1310, and on your smart speaker, News Talk KZRG, for all the news. And you can also tune in on the weekends as well. It's actually not just the weekdays. And remember, if you ever miss anything, you can always catch it right here with Plot Summary on News Talk KZRG.